I want to just bring a verse to you from the book of Proverbs tonight. Um, Mary Alice and I were able to take some time off, and, and uh, I think I told you this before last, oh, last year sometime, but if you ever watch the show Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Joanna was in our church when she was a little girl, and uh, her mom and dad are, are dear friends of mine. They moved away in 1990. I'd forgotten how long it's been. And, uh, but anyway, her dad is, uh, actually, she was, he, was, he had a, a, a tire store that she worked in. That's where she met Chip. And, but he is a phenomenal businessman, and so right now he's overseeing all things Magnolia and, and down there at, at the, uh, in Waco. And so we've been talking back and forth about sometime getting loose and going down and seeing them. And so we, were, we, we went to Waco last week and spent some time with Nan and Gerard, had a great time. And, uh, but on the way down, I guess just, you know, we, Mary Alice and I did what old people do. We, we, we reminisce. And I really don't look back much. I'm, I'm that person who's saying the next series is the biggest. By the way, the next series truly is <laughs> the biggest thing I've ever been part of. But a lot of that's just really true. I mean, I don't look back very much. And, and, uh, but, you know, having some time to travel, we started thinking back. And actually, I'd kind of forgotten this, but. Uh, I started preaching when I was a teenager, preached my first revival when I was 16. My senior in high school graduated early um, and, and was invited to West Texas to be part of a conference and well-known speaker there. And while I was there, believe it or not, it's just different times. The, the church asked me if I would be their associate pastor. I was 17 years old. And they took me out and showed me this really nice, there was a magnificent estate where this multimillionaire lived and there was this two-story apartment by the swimming pool. And they said, oh, you'll just live there free of charge. And so we, else and I were talking about that and thinking about it. And, and uh, in, in the, after we quit talking about those old stories, I started thinking about what's been the biggest change that I've seen in all the years that I've been in ministry. And... There are changes, of course. There are cultural changes. But when I think about Christians, the greatest change that I've watched in my years is in the mental health of Christians. The mental and emotional health of Christians is the biggest change that I've seen. And I think about it a lot. You know, I was sitting with group of Christian leaders one time at the, end of, at the end of a conference session where I'd spoken, and one of the Christian leaders said, well, when you get to heaven, what is the first question you want to ask God? And I said, well, the first question I want to ask him is, why would you love me? But I said, right after that, I want him to explain mental illness to me. We, we just live in a day and time where some of the greatest Christians that I know, Christian leaders, are struggling with mental and emotional disorders. And I do myself. I've, ta- I've been honest with you about that. I've shared, I've preached series about it. I, I, I don't like to be someone who hides something. And so because I wrestle with an emotional disorder myself and because I pastor so many who do and I have friends and Christian leaders who confide in me, I, I want to think about that tonight. In the book of Proverbs, which, by the way, is the book of wisdom. In fact, if you want to be a wise person, what you should do is read the book of Proverbs. My wife and I read through the one-year Bible, and there's a proverb every day that accompanies the reading, but some have felt like if you really want to immerse yourself in a study of wisdom, that what you should do is you should read the proverb that corresponds to the day of the month. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. 
If you want to be wise, you read the Proverbs. But there is one proverb to me that stands out more than any other, and we're just going to look at this one simple verse tonight from the book of Proverbs because we're wrestling with this question, why do so many of us wrestle with mental and emotional difficulties? It's Proverbs chapter 4 in the 23rd verse where the Bible simply says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We could get more complicated than this, but basically speaking, there are two parts to you. I mean, I know you have body, soul, and spirit if we're talking in theological terms, but let's just talk about functional terms for a moment. There are really two parts to you. There is your heart. I'm not talking about that organ in your chest. I'm not talking about that centerpiece of your circulatory system, but your heart in biblical terms is the real you. It is what you really think. It's not what you say. It's what you really think. It is, it is what you think the values that you have and truly hold, it is the judgments that you make, it is in essence the real you. And then the second part of you is the image. And let's be honest, and we're not talking about hypocrisy, it's not hypocritical. I mean, obviously, it would be a foolish thing for you and me to spout everything that we're thinking all the time, right? Who would have any friends left? I mean, if you want to be alone all the time, just say what you think all the time. I, I've got Christian friends who say, you say the, the dumbest things, and then they'll just say, well, I'm just being honest. And I'm like, no, you're not being honest. You're being foolish. I mean, for one thing, it would be a foolish thing to say what you're thinking all the time because I can change how I feel in 30 minutes, right? No. What I'm saying is this. All of us have a side of us that is for public consumption. It is the image. And then there's a part of us that is the real you. And so the Bible is telling us, guard the real you. See, the issue in our celebrity-driven age is that people tend to guard the image at all costs. In other words, nothing can ever threaten the image. And so we tend to guard the image at all costs and then let the inner person just fend for himself or for herself. You know, we live in an age of image consultants and makeovers. And years ago, we had the makeover shows. And today, there's cosmetic surgery and hair replacement and veneers for teeth. And those are fine. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But it is amazing to me because I'm like opening up news sites. And the news sites are about celebrities. And do they look too thin? Or you know, what's, and I'm so glad the royal wedding is over because I learned more about dresses people were wearing than I ever wanted to know. Why do, why do we spend so much time on the outside? Because in our culture, we've come to believe that your image is going to determine what happens in your life. If you're attractive, then you're going to get the best. If you're, if you're charming, if you're charismatic, you know, if the image sells, then that's going to shape your destiny. But in the face of all that, the Bible says it works just the opposite. In Proverbs 4, verse 23, the Bible says, guard, guard your heart above all else, because it determines what's going to happen in your life. It doesn't say guard your face, because if you lose your appearance, if you lose your looks, you're not going to get there anymore. It doesn't say guard your pocketbook. It says guard your heart above all else, because it determines the course of your life. You know, some of us need a changing of the guard tonight. 
We've been so busy guarding our image, and yet the real person, well, isn't it it a sad thing? Because the truth be told, I, I assure you, your image and my image is going to decline over time. I laugh about this. Every time I do a funeral service, it seems like I find myself saying to the audience, you know, something about the fact that at my age, you know, we have so many young new springers here. And so every once in a while at the workout facility or at the Y, you know, and in fact, that's, I think I run into more new springers at the Y than I do at new spring. It's just kind of really a a fun thing. And what's fun is especially meeting some of our like 25 year old guys, you know, they're in there pumping the iron and they're like coming up like, well, are you pastor Mark? I've been wanting to meet you. You, you know, and, and they're just <laughs> showing me how buff and how ripped they are. And I'd, I'd like they're thinking, wait till you see what time and gravity does with that body. <laughs> you know, the sad thing about it is, is oftentimes we guard that exterior, but we don't guard the real person. You know, there's a story in the Bible Jonathan talked about this in the Kings and Queens series. He talked about Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, and Rehoboam turned out to be a total idiot. You know, his dad basically had the golden age for the history of Israel, but Rehoboam, he lost the kingdom, and we've been talking about how the northern kingdom, you know, the top 10 tribes and the bottom two tribes were Judah. Rehoboam was the one whose foolishness caused the kingdom to split. But there's a little story about Rehoboam that I speak on a lot when I speak to pastor's groups. The, the story says that Solomon made a bunch of gold shields. And if you read about it, you can look into the story. These, these gold shields were worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even billions of dollars. And they were very beautiful and very ornate, and they, they formed this beautiful uh, pathway when Solomon and the worshipers would go to the temple. There was these magnificent gold shields. Well, in Rehoboam's day... Uh, a powerful king came and took his gold shields away. And Rehoboam, in an attempt to salvage his image, had new shields made. But he made them out of bronze, which was basically worthless in those days. You get what I'm saying? He didn't have the gold shields anymore. He He made some shields that looked good, but then he did something that was freakish. He got his guards to guard the bronze shields, which I guess he had the hopes of that would impress his people, but it was a silly thing to guard the bronze shields because nobody wanted to steal his bronze shields. I'm not saying that we shouldn't put our best foot forward tonight. We should. But I'm just telling you, if you're guarding your image, you're guarding the wrong thing. You're guarding something that doesn't have a whole lot of value and something that's going to change with time anyway. The Bible says guard your heart, the part that is the real you, the part that is your essence, the part that loves, that feels, that cares, that decides, that part of you that thinks, that part of you that is so important that it stay healthy. By the way, have I told you we're doing a brand new series in January called Healthy? It's going to be a great series. Well, tonight, as I said, we need a changing of the guard to guard our heart above all else. Let me give you about four quick thoughts and we'll be through. I love this verse and I've loved it since I was a kid. But first of all, I love it because it tells me where to be a control freak. You don't need to raise your hands on this. How many of you are control freaks? I am. I'm a benevolent control freak. 
I've invented that term. I am a BCF. I'm a benevolent control freak. I want to control, but it's for everybody's good. It's not for my good. How, how many of you are married? I mean, we're not raising any hands tonight. The cameras are pointed this way anyway. How many of you are married to a benevolent control freak? Man, he tells you what you should do. It's always for your goodness. Like, would you just please be quiet? Well, this verse tells us where to be a control freak. You know, you can control one of two areas. You can either try to control people, circumstances, and your environment, or you can control your attitudes. You have two choices. You can either try to control people, circumstances, and your environment, or you can control your attitude. Now, here's the thing. This is, I'm getting into an area why some of us Christians struggle with emotional health. If you try to control people, that will not work. If you try to control circumstances, can I get a witness on that? That will not work. If you try to control your environment, that will not work. And here's the weird thing about that. In trying to be a control freak to control people, circumstances, and environment, none of that works, and then your attitudes are all out of whack. Because your attitude's out of whack because you're trying to control things that you can't control. On the other hand, if you choose to control your attitudes, it is amazing how much controlling your attitude will have an impact on the people around you, on the circumstances that you're in, and in the environment that you're around. Isn't that ironic? Now, you won't control those things, and they won't be perfect. But that's the place to be a control freak. And you know, here's the blessing to me tonight, and I, I was blessed by this as I wrote it this morning. I can control my attitudes. I may not be able to control people. I may not be able, I sure can't con control my circumstances. I have no idea what kind of circumstances I'm going to be in in 24 hours from right now. And I can't even control the environment that I'm in. But the good news tonight is I can control my attitudes. And I'm not going to teach on this very much. I did some teaching on this a couple of years ago. The series is available. But I taught on the fact that attitudes are like filters. If any of you have ever been into photography, you know that a filter can, can augment a picture. A filter can make the, the image look completely different. And attitudes are like filters. I mean, the thing of it is, you, you, you and I both know there are people that have a bad attitude in a family and people have a good attitude in a family. They're both sitting on the same body of facts. They're not, they're not different facts. It's just one looks through a particular filter and then things actually become to that person how he sees them through that filter. I can either have a happy attitude or a sad attitude. I can either have an aggressive attitude, or I can have a friendly attitude. I can have a proud, arrogant attitude, or I can have a humble attitude. And when the Bible says, guard your heart, I really believe what it's trying to tell me tonight. Mark, if you want to be a control freak, hey, knock yourself out. There's a place where you can be a control freak. Be a control freak about your attitudes. Because see, here's the thing. If you control your attitude, let me give you three statements that you'll never have to make again. You ready? If you control your attitude, here are three statements you'll never have to make again. You will never again have to say, I had to respond that way. You will never have to say, I couldn't let that pass. 
You'll never have to say, I can't help but think about it. Oh, that last one is huge. See, a lot of times we feel like we have to respond that way. We have to, we can't let that pass. And I got to think about it. No, 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 no. That's because we're trying to control circumstances. God is saying to us, be a control freak, control your attitudes. Number two, and maybe no one else has to deal with this. And again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't know if I have any obsessive compulsive brothers or sisters out there tonight, but I do tend to obsess about things. This verse tells me what to obsess on. One more time, the Bible says, guard your heart, guard your thinking, guard your essence, guard your personhood, because it will determine the trajectory of your lives. That is Proverbs chapter 4. In the book of Philippians uh, chapter 4, there is a New Testament version of that verse that amplifies it. And I want to draw it to you right now. This will be up on the IMAG screens. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix. Hey, go ahead and substitute the word obsess. <laughs> obsess on what is true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Whatever you and I obsess on, is our default setting. Now, I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I've shared with you many years that my biggest issue in life is anxiety. And dealing with a little bit of the emotional challenge that I deal with, with being a poster child for ADD. And if anybody here is, you wrestle with ADD like I do, you know that a thought can get into your head and it's like a car on a loop around a city with no off-ramp. Anybody else know what that's like? And then, then it's like six lanes of traffic trying to get in one lane, you know, and it's all jammed up. That's sort of what it's like to be ADD. So all my life I've wrestled with worrying. I'll get a worry in my head and it just keeps playing and replaying and replaying. It's like on a loop. And so what the Bible is teaching me here is, Mark, you need to obsess but obsess on these things. And what I want us to do tonight is I want us to look at the list that we get from this verse. And I hope that this is a blessing to you tonight because God is teaching me so much about this. I mean, first of all, the Bible says, obsess on things that are true. Translation, obsess on things that are accurate. I have a couple of sons who inherited the ADD gene from me, and I try to share with them uh, all the mistakes that I've made in life. But I remember telling my son Stephen the other day, I said, I would so love to have back the years that I've lost worrying about things that never materialized. And not only did I, not, did I worry about things that didn't materialize, I worried about things that weren't even the slightest bit likely. Hey, I can turn a cold into cancer faster than you can possibly imagine. I can turn indigestion into a heart attack. And the Bible says, look, obsess on things that are accurate. Literally, in the Greek language there, it means not mixed with error. Okay, I'm about to preach for a few minutes. You know that there's a God. And he's a, he's a spirit. He's not a body, he's a spirit. You're a spirit. You have a body, but that's not who you are. You're a spirit. I can say I see you, Dave, but I don't see you. I just see the body that you live in. The real you is a spirit. And you also have an enemy who hates you. The Bible calls him the devil. Now, the devil, again, is not some hideous creature. 
you know, that you see depicted in artwork, he too is a spirit, a powerful spirit. It's interesting to me that the name devil means accuser. And we read in the Bible how many times Satan accused. But I, I was thinking about five things that Satan wants to do to attack accuracy in your life. There, there are five ways in which he lives up to his name as the accuser. Ready? Here we go. Here are the five. Number one, he accuses God to you. He tells you that God is not good. He tells you that God is not faithful. He tells you that God is not going to get you through this time. He's going to tell you that God doesn't love you anymore. He's going to tell you that you fail one too many times and you can't please God. He is going to accuse God to you. Number two, he's going to accuse you to God. We see that in the book of Job at the beginning where he comes before God with the other angels to accuse Job. Did the same thing with Peter. Jesus said to Peter on the night that Jesus was arrested, "Hey, Simon has sought permission of uh, Simon Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat." So he accuses you to God. Then he accuses you to others. Do you ever find yourself with a friend or a coworker, and they begin to believe something about you that wouldn't be true in a million years. Those things don't happen by accident. He's an accuser. He accuses you to others. He accuses others to you. Have you ever believed something about someone else? I mean, someone said something perfectly innocuous, and you're like, what did she mean by that? Well, that doesn't happen by accident. He's the accuser. He accuses God to you, he accuses you to God, he accuses you to others, he accuses others to you, and then here is one that you and I need to think about tonight. He accuses you to you, <laughs> right? Well, it's really important at that moment, and this is why if you want to protect your heart, it's so important to have God's word in you because so often when these crazy thoughts start coming into your head, it's going to be important to you to say, wait a minute, God says he loves me with an everlasting love. He says he loves me with an unfailing love. He says that even if sin abounds, grace does much more abound. God loves me. I'm not who the devil tells me I am. The Bible says fix your Mind, obsess on things that are accurate. Quickly, number two, obsess on things that are honorable, things that have value. Ooh, could we talk about that today? You know, with our, all of our electronic devices and, you know, 500 channels and television and how, how much, just, just, I'm not trying to, I guess I should ask myself the same question while I'm asking you. How much do we let into our minds that's really valuable? You're, 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 you're like, if you ever go into a restaurant, you ever like watch a family and everybody's got their iPhone? And you know, it's, it's like everybody's checking it out. Do you ever like look at, look at that and you think, I wonder if anybody's checking anything out that matters? The Bible says, obsess. On things that have value. Things that are going to matter six weeks from now. Things that are going to matter a year from now. Things that are going to matter in eternity. Real quickly, God says obsess on things that are right. That means fair. You know, God is convicting me in my life. A lot of times I find it easier to see sin in other people's life than I, have, than I see sin in my own life. And God is saying, obsess on things that are fair. Obsess on things that are lovely. That means friendly, seeing the best in other people. 
And then obsess on things that are admirable. That's positive. Summed up. This is really interesting. All that list of things, God sums up in two things. He said, obsess on things that are excellent. That's heroic in nature. And then obsess on things that warm people's hearts when they talk about. Here's the thing. You and I both know about it when we read a story or we watch a story about someone who does something heroic and we just like, wow, it does something for our emotional health just to read about someone who rescues uh, someone who is in trouble or someone who just does something heroic. Or we also know what it's like to hear a story that touches the heartstrings. And God is saying, look, if you want to obsess on something, obsess on things that are heroic and obsess on things that touch the heart real quickly. I got one minute left to do two points. Might be just a little bit over time, real quick. Number three, when I think about the Bible saying guard your heart, I really think that God is teaching us the importance of running our thoughts through a particular grid, and I call it the plus God, minus God factor. Train yourself to ask the question, how does my situation look minus God? And how does my situation look plus God? When I get discouraged, you know what's wrong? I'm seeing my situation minus God. When I get encouraged is to think about, yeah, it is what it is, but God is at work. One of the greatest phrases in your Bible, one of the greatest expressions is the expression, but God. Hey, those of you who like to study your Bible, just for fun sometimes, go through your Bible and mark the times that the Bible says, but God. Because almost every time, it's like this bad thing was going on, but God. I mean, I, I think about Genesis 8.1. Noah's floating in the ark, you know, days in this ark. And the Bible says, but God remembered Noah. Joseph said to his brothers who sold him, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good. In the book of Acts 2, verse 23, when Peter is preaching the sermon at Pentecost, he tells about Jesus dying on the cross. He said, you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. I love Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrate his love for us when we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I mean, just go through the Bible sometimes and look at the dire straits that people are in, but the Bible says, but God, but God. I am a sinner. It's true. But God loved me. I was on the way to hell. There's no way around that. But God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and he paid for my sins. I'm just an ordinary person. But God put a calling on my life and allowed me to do things that I could not have ever dreamed. And it's the same thing for you. Whatever circumstance you're in, you go to the doctor, you get a bad report. But how are you going to look at that situation? Minus God or plus God? Job's not looking real good right now, but how are you going to look at that situation? Minus God or plus God? Wow. You talk about guarding your heart with all carefulness. One of the greatest ways to have peace is to look at your life and remember, yeah, it may be true that I'm in a difficult situation, but God, plus God. Real quickly, number four. There are some bandits that you and I have to, have to watch about allowing into our mind. I'm just going to give you a list. You may have your own list. Agitation. Every, how many of us just discovered that agitation, especially today, we're so quickly agitated? I mean, you know, you drive down the road, next thing you know, somebody is waving at you and not using all of his fingers. <laughs> you just agitated him, right, you know? 
And don't look so pious. Some of you wanted to do that anyway. Improper sexual lust. It's a big one today. Anger, despair, envy, fear, disrespect, pride. I mean, we can go up and down the list. All these things are the enemies of our thinking. So, I mean, yeah, first of all, we need to guard our minds because there are bandits that come in through the culture. And then on top of that, others can bring thoughts into our mind that are not good. You know, I, I've got to the place now where I just don't want to hear gossip. You know, sometimes I got to be kind of, just the, the cameras are on tonight. Um, I, I'll be careful how I say this. Nobody can gossip like preachers. I mean, they're just the worst. And I hate gossip, you know? And, and of course, they always just say, I, you need to pray for him. I know, you just want to gossip, you know? You just want to tell a story. If he's going through a hard time, just tell me he's going through a hard time. Ask me to pray. You don't have to give me. It's all the sort of details. You know, when I've gotten to place, I've gotten to place where I just don't want to hear gossip. I really don't. I, I, my life's too short. I got too much to accomplish in my life. I don't want to hear gossip. I don't, I don't want to hear. Here's the thing. Listen, great minds talk about ideas. Good minds talk about things. Weak minds talk about people. I want to have a great mind. You want to talk to me? Talk about ideas. I'll talk to you all day long. I don't want to talk about people. I don't want to hear about people. You know, somebody's like, I just don't understand why people come and just, they just tell me those things. Well, you must look like a garbage can because if they won't dump garbage on you, you'll see you look like a garbage can. It's like, I don't know why. I just like people come. Yeah, I can tell you why. I can tell you that doesn't happen to high energy, high performers, people that want to make things happen. It doesn't happen to them. I don't want to hear angry diatribes. I don't want to hear gossip. I don't want to hear criticism. I don't want to hear people run other people down. I don't want people to bring racist thoughts to me. I don't want to hear people tell me stories that are going to cloud my mind. Tell me something good. Tell me something that Mary Alice is so accustomed to this. You know, she'll have, she likes to read out loud, and she'll say, what do you want me to read? I say, read something that builds my faith. You don't have to listen to people that don't build your faith. You're too busy. You and I live in a culture that is so dark. I mean, we read about Lot. The Bible says he was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day in Sodom. But you know what? It was his choice to be in Sodom. I know I'm five minutes over time. Can I have like three more minutes, please? Please, please. <laughs> this is who are our clothes. This has been a lot of years now. Probably been 12, 13 years ago. I was doing a conference in my home area. Actually, I was in Grand Prairie, Texas. And so I flew into DFW and got in late. And I'd rented like a, I don't know, a little Ford. But I got there at DFW and I don't, I guess it had some big event or something. And the guy behind the counter said, I know you've got a car reserved. But he said, We only have two left. He said, I got. Uh, a delivery van. <laughs> I'm going to talk about one with windows. This panel van. And he said, I got a, this Cadillac, and it had like this rocket motor in it. I think it had over 500 horsepower. And he said, which one would you like? 
And I thought about it for a minute. No, no, no. I'm like, I don't, it's just me. I don't have a, anything to deliver here other than some sermons. So uh, I said, well, we have the Cadillac. Well, I had a lot of fun driving around my home area down there on 360 and 820 and all those highways down there. And I tried to obey the speed limit. But anyway, I, I spoke all the times I was supposed to speak. I had like five or six times to speak at this little conference. And the pastor said, Mark, is there any way that you would just come and speak into my staff? He said, all the guys on the staff would just like to hang with you a little bit and have you just speak into them. And so he said, we're going to meet at one of the, I think it's a youth pastor's house. And so he said, um, we're just going to meet there. And so I got the address and and pulled up, and, and I could tell it was in the inner city, and, and, uh, but didn't think much about it. And so I got out of the car, and I came in and met the rest of the staff. And the pastor said to me, now, he said, uh, I, I hope that your wheels are still on your car when you go back out there. Because uh, they, they do a lot of vehicle theft in this area. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if my insurance covers this. Because <laughs> I had this rocket Cadillac. And, and I'll be honest with you, it didn't take me very long to pour into those guys. I poured into them pretty quickly, and I got back out to that car <laughs> and walked around and looked at it. And as I got into that car to drive away, it was like the Spirit of God said to me, people are more careful about where they park their cars than where they park their minds. We live in an age we even Christians. We park our minds in some dangerous places. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's the wrong kind of entertainment. Maybe it's anger. But you know what? You don't have to do that. The Bible says you do have control of your attitudes. If you want to obsess Obsess on all the things the Bible talks about in Philippians. Guard your heart with everything you've got because it will determine the rest of your life. Thanks for being here. God bless.